Good morning, Cornerstone. Wanted to remind you or maybe inform you that on New Year's Eve, Sunday, New Year's Eve, we'll be having a celebration here at the church just to talk about the past year and to reminisce and to give our praise reports and to talk about what God has taught us over this past year. That's New Year's Eve Sunday. A lot of you won't be in town, but for those of you who are, I hope you stop by and sit with us. It won't be a regular service. We're gonna have a big old chocolate cake <laughs> and some punch, so I hope you'll come and hang out with us. That's a New Year's Eve. Back in the late 2000s, early 2000s, maybe late 90s, there was a very popular TV show. You probably saw it. It was called Super Nanny. Anybody watch the Super Nanny? Besides me and my wife? I wouldn't miss an episode of Super Nanny. We sit there and watch and say what we would do with the children that were acting out of sorts and compare it to her notes. Super Nanny. It was centered on a lady who was called out by exasperated parents, asking her to come and to help them to get control of their children. They would make a video where they would say to her, Super Nanny, please come and help us. And Super Nanny would look into the screen and say, I'm on my way, coming to save the day. And for the first few days, the nanny would just walk around the house observing the children, observing the way the parents interacted with their children. By that fourth or fifth day, she would jump into action and start training the parents how to better manage their little ones. In one episode in particular, I remember the mom was following the, the nanny's process for disciplining her child. Kids started misbehaving. She walked her child, her son, over to the steps and sat him down on the steps and said, you're in time out. And you sit there until I come and relieve you. But the nanny stopped her in her tracks and said, listen, you can't discipline your child without also explaining to them why they are in time out. You have to give the child an explanation. And so she advised mom to go back over, kneel down to the, to the child's sight, and explain why he is in timeout, why he is being punished. Because the nanny said, if you don't do that, then the child may grow up and have all kinds of insecurity problems, complexes. The child may feel like you're just picking on him and you don't like them. So you have to give an explanation. And that advice makes perfect sense. If the goal of the parent is to encourage the child to change his ways, to change her ways, if the goal is reformation, it makes perfect sense. And as our father, God also disciplines us from time to time. But God's goal in disciplining his children is for the purpose of transformation instead of reformation. So that when God disciplines us, he's not only seeking to change our outward actions, 
but our interior selves. The problem for us then is that we often do not know what needs to change in order to get released from our time out. And we don't know what needs to change because we are not able to see our interior selves as we truly are. God could follow the nanny's advice and give us an explanation for our discipline. But even if God told me what it was he was looking to purge, I would have no idea what he was referring to. We all have blind spots as it pertains to our estimations of ourselves. And we are all much worse off morally, emotionally, and spiritually than we could bear to fully recognize. So God doesn't always explain to us why we're suffering. God does not always explain to us why we're being disciplined. He doesn't always clue us in as to why we must travel down certain dark paths in our lives. And just like the nanny deduced, for many of us, this punishment devoid of any explanation can lead to all sorts of insecurities, misgivings, and in some cases, may even cause unspeakable discouragement. God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? The context of divine discipline is the context of Paul's admonition to us in verses 12 through 17 of Hebrews chapter 12. And in the verses that precede those verses, Paul has advised us of a few things regarding our response to God's discipline. In verse five, Paul advises us to not take God's discipline lightly. In verse six, he teaches us that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and that God's discipline is a sign of his acceptance. In verse seven, Paul explains that, or the writer explains that discipline hones our endurance and if we allow it, divine discipline can teach us how to persevere. Then in verse eight, he warns us that if we are not being disciplined by God, we are probably not one of his children. Then realistically, in, in verse 10, the writer, the writer confesses that divine discipline is not very pleasant. No one likes to be chastised. No one likes to be disciplined. Divine discipline is not very pleasant. But the fruit it develops within us is worth all the suffering that we might endure. And while this truth should provide us some consolation, it is still hard for most of us to submit to the discipline that visits us from the hand of God. It's not easy. You've been on the same job for 10 years with no problems, no write-ups, you've never even been late, you have no bad relationships on your job, you have no real problems. 
Then a new manager joins the team and he is a tyrant. He ridicules you, he intimidates you, he watches you like a hawk, always finding fault with something that you've done. And now you're under pressure at your job. What once seemed like a dream job becomes a nightmare. But you determine within yourself that you're going to stick it out. But the harder you try to acquiesce to this new manager, the more he seems to come after you. He despises you seemingly without any reason. You start taking sick days, more sick days than you used to take. You start planning doctor appointments, doing work hours because you just don't want to be there anymore. You pray and you cry out to God, but nothing changes. If anything, it gets worse and worse and worse, and now you become disillusioned. Disenchanted with your job. Disenchanted with God. How could you allow this to happen to me? I go to church and I read my Bible. I witness to people on my job. I give to humanitarian causes. Why me? Why this? Why now? You ask God the question and you ask God again and again, but you never receive any explanation. And the writer finds you there in verse 12 and gives you this advice. Strengthen the hands that are weak. And strengthen the knees that are feeble. Be encouraged, in other words. Don't give up. Lift up your head and keep moving forward. Because this is just God's way of disciplining you, training you for the life that is to come. Strengthen your weak hands, strengthen your feeble knees. Suffering has a way of weakening us, doesn't it? Suffering has a way of bringing us to our knees. Spiritual training has a way of grinding us down to the point where we feel paralyzed, afraid to turn left or right for fear that things are only going to get worse. And what we are most tempted to do when life seems to have gotten the best of us is we retreat into our religion. We join another Bible study group. We go to a different church. We volunteer for another church project in hopes that we will be able to wait out the storm. We quit that job as we seek to resolve the problem. But the job was never the problem. God was using the job to force something in you to rise to the surface so that you could see what lies beneath and so that he could purge you of some deficiency that you are totally unaware of. Well, most of the time you're totally unaware of it. Sometimes we are aware of our moral failings. Sometimes we are aware of our emotional underdevelopment but we choose not to deal with it. So God takes the lead and God forces you to deal with it head on by sending crises into your life. Because you've been walking with God, but your path has not been as straight as it could be. And one of the purposes of your pain 
is to cause you to make straight paths for your feet. This is what the writer says, make straight paths for your feet. Interesting note here, in 1992, the National Library of Medicine recruited 20 healthy men and asked each one of them to walk 60 meters at normal speed. And they walked, and the researchers recorded a series of footprints for each one of them. At the end of the test, they did an analysis to determine whether the subjects were actually able to walk a straight line. And the result revealed something very interesting, that all of us walk in a twisting line. None of us walk in a straight line. Did you know that? These facts suggest that none of us can walk in a strictly straight line. Rather, we all meander when we walk. I am what they call slew-footed. So my feet point out that way. And so when I walk, I have a tendency, if I'm not watching where I'm going, I end up going left. Unintentional, I'm trying to walk straight, but somehow I always end up going to the left. All of us meander when we walk. None of us walk in a straight line. And this is due to structural or sometimes functional imbalance in our limbs. Secondarily, this can be due to feedback from our sense of sight, which acts to correct the shifting as we walk. None of us naturally walk in a straight line. Some of us are bow-legged, some like me are slew-foot, some walk with a waddle, some walk with a scissored gait, but none of us walk straight ahead. And as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual life. None of us are walking in a straight line. All of us meander about, mostly hitting, but often missing the mark. Interestingly, that is exactly what this writer assumes when he says in verse 13 that we should make straight paths for our feet so that the limb which is impaired may not be dislocated. He assumes that our limbs, our spiritual limbs, are impaired, that we're not walking straight. Every human spiritual structure has been impaired by the fall. When your natural limb is deformed in some way or another, the doctor has a few options. He can break your limb, he can straighten the bone to the proper alignment, he can apply pins and screws to keep the limb straight. And then they apply a brace to ensure that your leg or your arm doesn't move. That sounds very painful, doesn't it? Some people's legs are so bold they have to break the leg and then straighten it out and put pins and all these things in it and put a brace on it. It just sounds so painful, and it is painful. Having our minds corrected, having our emotions reprogrammed, having our moral habits curtailed is a painful process, but the process is necessary. And depending on the severity of your dysfunction, of my dysfunction, the process could be very long or the process can be very short. Much of it will depend on you and how much suffering you are willing to endure. 
If God is using your job as a disciplinary tool to bring about transformation in your life, you may leave that job all you want. If God is using your church to transform your life, you can leave that church all you want. And you may find respite for a season, but you are going to encounter that same scenario once again because no matter where you go, there you are. And if God has begun the disciplinary process in your life, it is not going to stop because you change locations. It's not going to stop. You are going to face the discipline that God has designed for you. That same toxic environment that you were escaping from is going to greet you again at some point in your future. You cannot avoid and you cannot evade the discipline of God forever. The purpose of divine discipline is to retrain our spiritual limbs to walk in a straight path. But what happens to many of us sometimes is that our deformity becomes even more warped. Our emotions become even more twisted. Our attitude becomes even more perverted as we do our best to escape the discipline of God. We twist and we squirm our way out of his vice. And in our flailing about, we dislocate our spiritual limbs. We make the problem worse than it was. Paul admonishes us to make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is impaired may not be dislocated, but rather, he says, rather be healed. Be healed. Because this is the purpose of the discipline of God, that we might be healed. Sometimes healing hurts. And why does it hurt? Because God through discipline is straightening out your interior life stretching your emotions, breaking down your stony will, trimming down your pride, it hurts. And what makes it hurt even worse is that sometimes God employs other people to apply the necessary pressure to force change within you. That makes it hurt all the worse. So that instead of focusing primarily on the dysfunction within myself that is causing me so much pain, I place the blame at somebody else's feet. You are my problem. If you weren't in my life, I wouldn't have this problem. We project the problem onto someone else, a boss or a sister. My sister is the reason I am depressed. My mother is the reason I am so insecure. My spouse is the reason I am so filled with anxiety. It's always someone else. We accuse someone else of being our nemesis. And we think that if we disengage from them, we will find relief. Mm -mm. But relief from temporal pressure is not what you need. What you need is to be healed. 
healed to the point where their antagonism no longer evokes such a strong emotional response from you. Healed to the point where your pride, where your pride is not so easily provoked within you, sending you into a vengeful rage. Healed to the point where we're able to no longer view people as the problem, but we are able to pursue peace with all people. That's what the writer advises us to do when God is disciplining us. Pursue peace with all people. Don't make people your problem. Otherwise, you distract from the disciplinary processes of God. Peace with the people I know. Peace with the people I don't know. Peace with my friends. Peace with my enemies. Peace with all people. This is my own personal observation that of all the defects, of all the de defects and all the deformities within the hearts of mankind, anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness has to rank among the most prevalent and the most intense. Anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness. I've often said, you've probably heard me say it before, that the world is an abrasive place. It just is. Someone is always rubbing us the wrong way. Someone is always disregarding or minimizing our thoughts and our feelings. Someone is always mistreating us or aligning themselves against us. The world is an abrasive place. There is always friction between man and man. But deformity, the, the deformity of anger and bitterness become our default. Keep us twisted inside, always offended, always bothered, always triggered. But Paul admonishes us today, the writer admonishes us today, to not blame our hurtful neighbor's actions for our suffering, but to recognize that our suffering comes from the hand of God. And therefore, we should pursue peace with all people because people are not your problem. All of your problems have been sent to you, child of God, from the hand of God to discipline you, to transform you, to heal you. This goes for marriage, for communities, for churches, for jobs. All of the problems that come into the child of God's life is sent into his life to discipline and to heal. And the sooner we learn to view all of our suffering in this way, the more effective God's remedy will be for our lives. Now, if you've been walking with God long enough, you begin to learn how to expedite your trials. You learn how to expedite your discipline because you learn how to submit immediately instead of putting up such a fight. Something an old pastor told me one time. He said, when life begins to hit you real hard, Calvin, always go low as fast as you can. Don't try to fight it. 
If you see that things are spiraling out of control, just stop, accept it. God is disciplining you. And the sooner you learn how to submit to the discipline of God, the sooner you'll come out of your trial. The sooner you stop fighting, the sooner you'll come out of your situation. Yeah. The sooner you don't have to be right, the sooner you'll get deliverance from your problem. Man, that's a serious lesson to, that is a serious lesson to learn. You learn that as you walk with God long enough. When trouble comes to you and it's inexplicable, you can't understand where it came from. You did everything the right way and everything still fell apart. You begin to discern God's hand in that. And as soon as you discern God's hand in it, what you need to do is just submit to the, to the trouble, submit to the pressure, submit to the discipline. Don't try to fight. Don't try to fight. Job spent so many chapters in the book of Job fighting his discipline, didn't he? Fighting his discipline. Why me? Why now? I am better than this. I deserve more. He spent chapter after chapter fighting and flailing about. <laughs> it was not until he submitted to his discipline and said, even if you slay me, yet will I trust in you. I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. <laughs> I'm confident that this thing that has come into my life has come into my life to make me better, to heal me and to bless me and to deliver me. Here's how it works. Here's how it works. I have an anger problem. And all of a sudden it seems like when I'm on the highway, cars just keep on cutting me off. Day after day, I just keep... God is allowing this to happen to surface anger within me so that I can see myself and repent and ask for deliverance. Mm. God uses people, God uses circumstances to cause your dysfunction to come to the surface so that you can acknowledge it and confess it to him and be set free. But as long as you keep making all the people cutting you off in the cars, they're all the problem. See how he just cut me off? He's the, that dirty so-and-so. He's the one that's probably, no, 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 no. That's how the world thinks about it. But as a child of God, I recognize that nothing comes into my life, my life without God's permission. Everything that comes into my life is ordained by him. And so my question becomes, God, why are they all cutting me off like this? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show? Whatever it is, I'm open. I'm open to the discussion. I'm open to changing in whatever way you want to change me. I know that I'm dysfunctional. I know that my limbs are bent out of shape. Do what you will with me. I will not resist. Huh? Mm -hmm. The sooner you can do that, the sooner you come out of your trial. And it doesn't mean that cars are going to stop cutting you off. They may keep cutting you off, but you won't care. <laughs> That's how you know when you've been delivered. But as long as all the other cars are your problem, you're going to keep on trying to change the rules of the road. You're going to keep on judging how everybody else is driving all the time, missing the point. 
The point of God was always to transform you. Every suffering, every discipline is an opportunity for you to grow. People who learn this lesson grow by leaps and bounds in God. Almost overnight, once you realize that every time he sends a disciplinary situation into your life, it is an opportunity for you to walk up one step higher. Suffering is an opportunity to grow. So I will pursue peace with all people. And I will pursue holiness. Listen to this. I will pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Oh, wait a minute. What about eternal security? The writer said, pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness here means sanctification. We are to pursue, we are to chase after sanctification. And what does sanctification mean? To be sanctified literally means to be set apart for special use. It means to make something holy, to make it sacred. And this is God's vision for all of his children, that we would be made sacred. Separate from the world in every conceivable way. Different from the world in how we think, how we feel, how we behave, how we perceive. And ultimately what God has in mind when he disciplines us, when he disciplines me and you, is that we would come to see as he sees, that we would come to think as God thinks, that we would come to perceive in the way that God's per God perceives and that we would learn to act the way that God acts, that we would become sacred. Paul says, I'm sorry, I keep saying Paul. The writer says that without the earnest pursuit of this kind of holiness, no one will see the Lord. And when Jesus Christ comes back, we may not have arrived at perfect holiness, but we should be found of him pursuing holiness. And we pursue holiness by submitting to the discipline of God willingly and without complaint. And we gladly yield to his transforming power, even though it hurts. But if we refuse to submit, brothers and sisters, if we are determined to not take God's discipline seriously by evading suffering, by blaming others for our plight, we may fall short of the grace of God. This is what the writer warns us in verse 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. So that the discipline of God is actually a grace. The discipline from God is a blessing. It is a blessing from God that we would suffer for his name. But when we refuse to suffer, or when we balk at his discipline, his grace is not able to renovate us from the inside out and we will not be ready to stand before Christ when he returns. 
you may find it hard to believe today, but there are many people who come to church. There are many people who confess Jesus as Lord with their lips, but they are falling short of the grace of God. And they are falling short because they do not yield to his discipline. They do not accept his spiritual curriculum for their lives. So they make their own religion that looks just like the true faith. But inside they remain just as deformed, just as dead as they were before they confessed Christ. They are not pursuing holiness. They are not participating in God's sanctifying process. The writer admonishes us here, see to it, that we do not come short of the grace of God. And see to it that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. God's discipline can make you bitter if you're not careful. Have you ever met a passive aggressive Christian? Passive aggressive Christian, smiling, has all the right words, but inside vengeful, unforgiving, angry, you know Christians like that, bitter Christians. God's discipline has made them bitter. They are angry because they can never seem to get ahead. They're angry because things never seem to work out right. And now they're still going through the rope and the habit of religion. But they're bitter toward man and they're bitter toward God. I know saints who have all but given up on their spiritual pursuit of holiness because the price seems too high to pay. Angry saints, disenchanted believers who could not see that their miserable plight actually serves as a sign of God's love. That God's determination to prepare them for the world that is to come is real and effective in their lives. They're going from the frying pan to the fire and God is saying, calm down. I'm just trying to get you ready for the life that is to come. Stop taking yourself so seriously. Calm down. But the suffering has caused bitterness. Bitterness against man and bitterness against God. The writer says, see to it that no root of bitterness springing up causes you trouble. Their suffering has caused them bitterness because they value creaturely comfort above Christ-like conformity. They pursue happiness above holiness carnal desire above divine discipline. They are coming short of the grace of God and they will not be ready to see the Lord when he returns. Let us, you and I, let us get ready to meet him then. Let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily takes us off course. And let us run this race with patience submitting to divine discipline, asking God to have his way in our lives, 
asking God to transform us by any means necessary so that we will be ready to meet Christ when he returns. For many of us, this has been a year of discipline. Wave after wave, problem after problem, struggle, struggle after struggle. If your, if your year has been anything like my year, you've been putting out fires and running around and trying to figure things out and <laughs> tough year. But throughout the year, I have been thanking God. I had the most peculiar situation happen to me. I'm gonna tell you guys about it just so you can see how this works. I was having some difficulties with my buses. I have some buses, I run a transportation deal. And I got a report from my mechanic of how much it was gonna cost to fix it. And I agreed to the price and he was fixing the bus and the part didn't come for one week. Then the part didn't come for another week. Then the part didn't come, didn't come for a third week. And I was losing my uh, passengers and I couldn't do anything about it. I was completely helpless and I'm frustrated. And I'm God, what is going on here? What is, what is this all about? Just trouble. And I got up one morning and I felt discouraged. <laughs> and I walked in the living room and I said to my wife, I said, I feel discouraged. And I smile. <laughs> and of course she's looking like, what are you, are you smiling with? You feel discouraged, why are you smiling? You know, I said, this, this is true. I said, do you know that I have not felt discouraged in many times in my entire life? This is like a new, strange feeling. I feel discouraged. Thank God. Thanking God because I have not had a very discouraging life. Turning my lemons into lemonade. Saying that even if you slay me, God, I still trust you. I still enjoy your company. I will not turn back. <laughs> even darkness is light to you. Yeah, man. So I'll stand with you and I'll stay with you. Even when you discipline me, I will not run away. I will not hide myself. But I'll stand in the fire. I'll stand with God. I love the song, I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. And you've been good to me. And even though I can't see your hand, I trust your heart. And I trust that even this will work out for my good. Many of us are going through, through struggles and troubles, all kinds of trouble this year. It is a sign that God loves you. <laughs> your trouble and your pain is a sure sign that God is on your side. That all things are going to work together for your good. If you can calm down, not make any rash decisions, accept the pain. It's a sign of maturity when you can accept the pain without running away. Because that thing that surfaced, look, I feel like explaining this a little bit more. The thing that is surfaced in you because of the thing you're going through, that's the thing that God is trying to purge you of. That's it. That, that, that disappointment, that jealousy, that fear, that rage. God is saying, yeah, that's why I sent it so I could see that. Now, do you see it? Do you see it, Eric? 
You have to let that go. Let me cleanse you. Let me transform you from that. But I didn't do anything wrong. My boss is the problem. Forcing me to work overtime, talking down to me. And God is saying, yeah, I'm allowing him to do that to work on your pride. Yeah, let go of the pride. Let, and then you won't care what he says. As long as you care, that means it's not diminished in you. I am trying to sanctify you, to make you sacred. So that you do not respond according to this world, but you respond by the Holy Spirit that is within you. That you put yourself and your interests to the side. And that you seek me for my design, for my purpose for your life. Too many Christians are living self-directed lives. Writing their own discipleship curriculum. How can you write your own discipleship curriculum? No. The Holy Spirit is responsible for discipling you and he disciples you the way that he wills. It is your responsibility to be still and let him do his work. The longer you take to figure that out, the harder it's going to get for you. Do not despise the discipline of God. Embrace it and let God change you. Let's pray. God, my goodness. Lord, it's not easy. It's not easy, Lord God, to stand still in fire. It's not easy to stand still in the in limbo. And sometimes, Lord, it feels like you've forgotten about us. And we're tempted to begin to make our own decisions, to follow our own path. Have mercy on us. Give us the strength to endure by your Holy Spirit the trials that lie before us. Looking unto Jesus as our example, who suffered that cross, patiently waiting to breathe his last breath, who cried out to you, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of us feel forsaken even this morning. So much trouble, so many questions, so few answers. So much discipline, so much pain. I pray this morning, Lord God, that you'll give us light and revelation to see that thing within us that you are trying to purge and to cooperate with your Holy Spirit today. To stop resisting the pain. To accept it, even to embrace it just as Jesus Christ finally embraced his own destiny.
Help us to see, Lord God, that there is victory even in our defeat. Help us to understand that the dying of self is a painful process, but a process that we must commit to if we are to grow in your grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this year. Thank you for all of the lessons. Thank you for the blessings. Thank you for the good times. And thank you for the bad. Father God, we do not know what you're doing with us or in us. But your track record is good. And we are certain that all things will work together for our good because we love you and because you've called us according to your purpose. Give us peace within so that we can pursue peace with all people. Give us hearts to pursue the sanctification process, to engage the process, to not just allow life to happen to us, but to fully participate mind, body, soul, and spirit with your project of sanctification for our lives. Help us to grow in grace and in knowledge of you. In Jesus' name. Amen.